Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 21 The Parting Lara woke from a dream with her mouth filled with peppermint. She remembered well the flavor. Her mother had always let her eat of the herbs she grew among the wheel spokes in her garden, so long as Lara did not denude any one plant. She rose to an elbow, wondering. And it was then that she noticed... Her winter lion had gone. She could not remember what she had dreamed, but the taste of the tender leaves remained with her as she went downstairs to eat the morning meal with the family. Dane, Leah, and Jan all descended unaccompanied. The room seemed strangely unpeopled, without their winter lions prowling its corners, settling on smooth paws beside their places. Leah bounced and capered in her seat as much as she could manage before a word from one of her parents quelled her. John and Dion had eaten early and left for a day's hunting in the woods of the lowlands with several of their friends. The broad window opposite the table which until this day had been fast shut and covered with a heavy curtain, stood open. Lara felt a generous wind on her cheeks, and she knew that spring had come at last. Two hot seeds, she thought as she sat. Two, and yet I still hold such chaos within. She felt as restless as Leah though with far less joy. I will be leaving soon, she said aloud, suddenly, surprising herself. Toman and Nisarinen looked at her seriously, but did not speak. Leah trilled, Are you going to the fairies? and began laughing with pleasure. Jan, who had paused with her hand at her spoon, did not look at Dane. No, said Lara. I am going to find the summer. They spent yet another week of nights there with the family, making such preparations as would be necessary for a long stretch of journeying. Dane, too, prepared to go, for he had received his summons back to the temple in the south, and he wanted to arrive in time for the days of the feast, which began before the spring had fully ripened, when goddess gave way to god. If he travelled alone, he could make the journey in three weeks' time. 
He looked for the briefest of moments at Jen when he said this. Lara, catching the glance, knitted her brow. She had not been against turning their own travels south. After all, she had never known in what direction the summer lay, and it seemed the direction mattered little in the end. For had not her heart seeds found her where she was? Yet, when she had made hesitant mention of this the night before, as she and Jan lay quietly beside their winter lions seeking sleep, Jan had turned on her side and looked at Lara. You mean good to me, I know, she said in a tight voice, but we go north. Why? The goddess told me today, went walking and spoke with her. She said we leave Dane and go north together. Lara felt pain in her chest as though it were Jan's. What reason could there be for this splitting? She knew well that both Jan and Dane were at theirs to say. Would not leave one another for any feast nor heart-finding. And why should they? She could not understand it. Did the goddess delight in frustrating tender feeling? I don't see why, she said carefully, knowing Jan would not join her in angry protests. We only began going north because that was the direction of the road leaving your home. There's no reason to hold to that. Dane is a good friend and would help us on our way. Jan sighed. She let her head fall slightly, raising a thin hand to her hair, smoothing it back over her temples. She lifted her eyes again, and Lara saw the hurt and the patience in them. I know, but I need to. I need to leave him. Lara made a gesture of frustration. Why? What's the harm in... He is a runner, said Jan bluntly. Runners swear never to marry. It would... It would hurt too much to stay. Lara's silence in the wake of these words said she still did not understand nor agree. But she did not protest further aloud. And so the next day, when Dane told of his plans, Lara said that she and Jan traveled north, and they would leave the following morning. Farewells only took a brief time. Toman and Nisarnan had the day's work before them, and they gave courteous and gentle wishes for the girls' safety as they went. Dane embraced Lara gravely and stood before Jan. He said, after casting about for a moment, I am sorry 
said Jan, and her voice almost gave out her usual cheer. I'm glad I have known you. Neither of them said another word, but Jan held out her right hand, and Dane took it in both of his, holding it for a long while, looking at her. She smiled up into his face, and he gave a low, short laugh. His hands trembled. Then they left. Jan turned her face from the city and did not look back, but the lines of her mouth were spare and pained, and Lara let her be all that day. Lara had not realized how penned within she had been all the length of that winter, until at last she walked free in the broad, fresh airs of spring. She felt an elation that did not fit her trouble of mind, an elation that shocked her in its arrival and strength, and she felt a small guilt that the opening world around her should give her such delight when she imagined Jan walking beside her with unsolved hurt within. They did not push themselves far and stopped for leisurely meals. Many of the trees about had begun carrying blossoms. The earth beneath bore swaths of wildflowers emerging, and in the new-washed sunlight the girls spun and strolled as they liked. A few times they hid their packs in the underbrush and went sprinting up and down the road, or swung into the trees and climbed as high as they could, breathing in great gusts of the sharp, cool air, like companions shipwrecked, nearly drowned, and at last risen to the water's surface. Lara, for the time, turned her face inwardly from all that had so lately passed, from her confusion over Nisa's story and her own questionable words to the woman who had housed her, and the strange heart-finding witnessed by winter lions, and let her mind rest in present sensation alone. Jan's bright face in the arms of the tree beside her, and the soft, lively green of the budding forest, and the life in her, the fierce joy of her youth. She drank of it all without thought, willing to take up those threads at some later time, unmarked as yet. But when Lara woke in the night and heard Jan paces away in her numinous parleys with her god, low moans marked the sentences, not laughter. And this, of all things, came nearest to forcing Lara to thought. Most often she remembered their faces as they said their farewells, and she remembered her own words briefly exchanged with Nisarinan just before leaving, readying her pack. Why did you do it? She had asked the older woman, 
not meeting her eyes, somehow feeling deserted by an ally. He never answered you. Silence had followed so long that Lara thought perhaps the woman would not reply. Finally, the slope of Nisarinan's mouth rose in the slightest, the most whispering of smiles. He did not answer my question, she said, but he answered me. Lara had turned away from her and thrust her cloak down hard into the recesses of her pack. You want him, Lara blurted at last. She felt the slow drip, drip of water from the hair at her temples and the cool, smooth mud of the river's bed against her bare feet. Why did she always say things? Jan, too, dripped silently into the river. Lara realized how chill the spring air still remained in the mornings, with the washed sun not yet topping the branching trees to warm their skin. At last, Jan breathed aloud and caught Lara's eye. For some time I've wanted him, she said. I don't understand, Jan, said Lara. Why may a runner not marry? Jan sighed wading to the shore, seeking out a patch of early sunlight, sitting with her arms gripping her legs and knees tucked beneath her pert chin. They make a vow, she said. The life of a runner means they do not settle in any one place. They go to many lands on the gods' errands. When they take their vows, they swear to keep no homes, no lands and belongings, no wives, no husbands, no children. You could go with him, said Lara. Jan shook her head. They do not allow it. Then, said Lara, if he loves you, why not stop being a runner? Jan was silent for so long that Lara began to think she had not heard the question. When Jan answered, her voice had fallen so low that Lara had to lean toward her to hear her. Forbid it that he should begin his vow to me by breaking one. Lara felt impatient with all of this. Impatient and, inexplicably, afraid. Again, the old question... What did it mean that the god would behave in this way? Why should she ever trust one who would treat the hearts of his devoted ones so callously? Doesn't he care, she said, turning from Jan and staring into the glitter of the spring sun. Of course, said Jan, surprised. Felt it pretty sharp the day we- Not Dane, Lara snapped. The god. Ah, said Jan. Lara turned again to face her, and she felt a clenching in her stomach as she saw an unexpected smile hovering on Jan's face. A familiar smile, one that said it held a secret. 
A smile, Lara knew, so slight as to be unconscious on Jan's part, and certainly not intended to infuriate. Yet her anger came unbidden, just as it had with Nissa, just as it had with Nena. And she suddenly recalled that self-same smile on the face of Jan's father. That day they had all spoken of this journey, and how the god had sent them messages on Emma's rosebush leaves to prepare Jan to depart. And Lara had asked whether Ada knew what was going to happen. No, he had said. But if you knew him, you would feel that to be of little importance. Well, I don't know him, that's clear, Lara thought, looking at Jan's smile. The smile of a young bride talking free and joyous of her husband to an unwed girlhood friend. What? she said aloud. He cares, I said, Jan repeated. Not enough to mend it, said Lara. And she turned once more and began striding to their camp with its ashen fire. Why did compassion come so sparingly to her hand? Why should she wield a lash at Jan, whose supposed pain was the cause of her own indignation? She relieved her inward heat somewhat in her limbs. They walked a rapid pace that day, though when night fell and they made camp in the sickle moonlight, Lara bedded down, feeling as though this camp was the same as the last. One morning, when they woke to lilies scattered in vibrant curves along a silent river, the air seemed to change. Lara did not say it aloud, but she knew from the alert light in Jan's face and her sharper movements that her friend noticed it too. They neither of them spoke a word. They had entered a spacious wood, a wood of tree groves with pale bark like flushed roses, and the earth covered not in underbrush, but in a deep emerald moss. When Lara first set her feet in it, she gasped. She could not keep the colors of the wood out of her being. They seemed to press in, invading, insisting. The first shafts of light that broke the laughing treetops pierced her through. She felt a sudden urge to turn and run. She looked to Jan, who had shed her shoes and stood basking in an open ray of the new sun. Jan felt Lara's eyes on her. Elves country, she said, and her face shone. Elves country. Lara remembered the peddler woman. You ever find yourself in those lands, you run back where you come, just like I did. Jan, she said nervously. It's all right, said Jan, reaching for Lara's hand. They'd not have let us find it if they didn't want us to come. That's not... Lara began, but Jan was not listening. 
She had taken Lara's hand and, pulling her own pack tight up against her shoulder blades, had darted forward, sprinting, straight into the light. Jan ran without wearying for nearly the time it took for the sun to rise to its zenith. The wood about them became yet fuller, its expanse enveloping the girls without offering horizon, and the feeling, for Lara, of invasion increasing as they sped further and further into its heart. She should be invading it, should she not? Yet she could not rid herself of the sensation that she walked now in a place unassailable by her, a place whose knowledge of itself required that she face it. Jan seemed not to sense this. She appeared elated, the fibers of her brimming with eager life, a life that spent itself in running toward some beloved end. At last, Lara's own evident exhaustion demanded a halt, and they stopped early for the midday meal beneath the broad-reaching arms of the grandest tree they had yet seen in that wood. Lara stayed at its foot, stretching her aching legs against its great pools of roots, but Jan set her food pouch between her teeth and mounted one of its sides, both arms pulling strongly against the whispering, frond-like vines that fell from its crown to the earth, like a beneficent queen casting largesse. She swung her body up onto the first massive limb parting ways from the trunk, and along its wide middle she lay down and began eating her meal. "'Are you sure we should keep going?' Lara called up to Jan, having once finished her food and begun contemplating with unease the remaining day's travel. "'We don't know where we're headed, and we don't know if it's safe.' "'This much beauty,' said Jan, laughing. "'I don't care if it's not safe.' Lara did not laugh. "'I mean it, Jan.' Jan rolled to her right elbow and looked down at her friend. "'I know.' Sorry. I do want to go further in, though. Why do you think it's not safe? Lara hesitated. She did not know any longer how much, if any, of the peddler woman's tales and opinions were to be trusted, and yet, even knowing this, she found it hard to shed the early impressions the woman had made upon her with her talk. It doesn't feel right she finally said, feeling the paltry strength of the words as she said them. Why wasn't she simply telling Jan the truth? Doesn't it? Jan sounded surprised. It feels... Lara struggled for words to put to her sense of invasion. It feels too... It feels other. Jan considered this for a while. It is other, I suppose. But unsafe? Not necessarily, from that. I don't know if I like it, said Lara, stubborn. Well, said Jan, grasping the vines above her and spiraling down to the earth beside Lara, we needn't decide just yet. We could have a sleep first, and go slower with the twilight. All right, said Lara. 
She breathed deep with relief, the decision postponed, and the promise of rest ahead after that arduous morning. She unlaced the mouth of her pack, drew out her sleeping roll, and found a hollow that suited her among the ground-gripping roots. Here the elves found them, sleeping sound, as the light waned and the trees began to murmur. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay Ben-Avraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon. We make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much. <laughs>